Hey everyone, it's Ada. Have you been following this crazy Rich Asians madness? Well, as we're gearing up for our fifth season of Saturday School this fall, which is fittingly about the history of films about Asian Americans in Asia, we have a bonus episode for you, for the hardcore Crazy Rich Asians fans. There will be a lot of spoilers coming up. If you want a spoiler-free discussion, check out other Crazy Rich Asians-related episodes by our fellow Potluck Podcast Collective members. Collabcast, first of all, and they call us Bruce. But if you're interested in hearing the most intense, crazy discussion, enjoy. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. This is a meeting of what we're calling the Crazy Rich Asians Five Timers Club which means everyone here has seen the movie five times or more. And to contextualize this, we're recording this on the Monday after opening weekend. (laughs) (laughs) We're all based in LA. There's been a lot of early screenings, but I'm guessing a lot of you also saw it multiple times um, during the five-day opening weekend. So we're going to go in pretty deep, very fast. (laughs) In fact, usually I have a co-host, Brian Hu, Um, for Saturday School, which is an Asian American pop culture history podcast. And he has only seen it once, so he is not invited. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Brian. (laughs) I know. I don't know why he thinks like being a professor or, you know, programming the San Diego Asian Film Festival is more important than watching it five times. (laughs) So important. We should take away his professorship for this grievance. And actually, full disclosure, I have only seen it three times. <laughs> three times? <laughs> I'm, I know. I, so I'm kind of like both hosting and crashing this five-timers club meeting. But I'm just super curious about what it's like to see it that many times, why you see it that many times, um, and then what you start noticing upon multiple viewings. So let me quickly introduce everybody we have here. We have Phil Yu, creator of the popular Asian American blog, Angry Asian Man, and co-host of the podcast, They Call Us Bruce. Phil, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it six times. Six times. All right. Next, we have David Magdale, publicist, academy member, head of David Magdale and Associates. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it eight. I just counted eight times. Eight oh times. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> We have Cheryl Kay, who's a singer, who's actually in the movie. Her voice is in the movie. She sings the cover of Money, That's What I Want, that appears both in the intro and in the um, closing credits. She was cast off her YouTube audition video, which is pretty cool. How many times have you seen it, Cheryl? I tie with that eight times. Eight times! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then we have Minji Chang, actress, producer, known for the podcast Collabcast from Collaboration and her own podcast, first of all. Minji, how many times have you seen it? I have seen it a lowly five times. I'm such a like, loser in this club, but yes, five times. Five times. Okay. And then Marvin, 
Menji's co-host of Collabcast and producer host of many other podcasts, including Books and Boba, Fresh Creatives, uh, Korean Drama Podcast, which Phil is also a part of. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it six times. Six times? Marvin beat me? What? Yeah, I snuck in a late night one last night. Actually, I've seen it seven times. I lied. Sorry. <laughs> You've seen it seven times? Yeah. Okay, no, I need to catch up. This is not okay. Well, I want to say that just in the last couple of days, looking at my Facebook feed, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other people who have seen it at least five times. When I first thought like, oh, let's gather the people who have seen it five times, I thought there'd be like three or four and <laughs> I didn't know who would actually have seen it five times. But now I feel like we're actually missing a good amount yeah. of people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just realizing there should be some other people here, but we're good. Hopefully we can get other people to tell us how many times they've seen it. So I'm just going to start with a very basic question. Is this something that you guys do a lot? Like go to the theater and watch movies multiple times? Or is this special to Crazy Rich Asians? Uh, this is David. So I, I often go more than, more than once if it's a movie that moves me. So for example, like last week, Black Klansman came out and I've seen it four times. And a couple of times there were two uh, talkbacks. So I wanted to hear what the producers and directors had to say. Same thing with Blind Spotting. I saw that three times opening weekend. I find that looking at films that have mostly communities that have been marginalized, it's like our opportunity. And I, I like to go back a second time because I, if I'm wild by it, I have to make sure that's what I saw so that I wasn't just so overwhelmed by the fact that, that there were people of color that were on screen telling people of color stories. And I just want to make sure I got what I was, you know, what, what I was supposed to get and then see if there's something new that I was missing. So it's, yeah, I go off in a lot in that way. Or if I'm having such a good time, you know, like, for example, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. I don't know how many times we've seen that on the big screen, but lots, you know, because you had such a good time and you went for the ride. So it's been like that. And cinema has always been that experience. You know what I mean? It just takes you outside of you and sitting there and with, you're with an audience. You just want to see with different audiences to get that response and with Crazy Rich Asians, I wanted to see it with Asian people. I wanted to see it with, you know, people who weren't Asian. I, we went over to Alhambra to see it with, like, mostly Chinese people to see if they were feeling the same thing that, that I was feeling. And everywhere across the board, I can say with this film, people were just, like, gushing and having such a great time. And then I think at the end, there was this, like, kind of a collective exhale where people who were on the fence said, oh, wow, that was really good. I wasn't sure what I was going to get when I came in. And then you could feel the vibe coming out into the lobby with other people just wanting to talk and to celebrate. I think for me, I just don't have the time anymore to go to the movies multiple times. I don't have time to get to the theater in general. But something about this movie, yeah, I definitely made an exception for it. And I think it really has to do with the fact that the first time I watched it, I was like so blown away, so moved and so emotional. I, I think it was just chasing that feeling again and again, right? And it, it kind of has lived up to it every time. And and also, the other part of it, too, is that, like Dave said, get something out of watching it with other people. And so each time I've watched it, it's been a different kind of audience, a different setting. And then by, by, you know, by viewing number five or six, you're anticipating feeling the reaction from the people around you of something that you know that is coming, like a, a great moment that you like, that you can't wait for other people to experience it, too, I think. And I find that, that I, I still cry. I cry every time that damn wedding scene comes on and she, <laughs> she puts her gold toe in that water. I just die. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. 
so this is Minji. I I go to the movies really infrequently, which is ridiculous because I work in entertainment. I critique pop culture, and I'm also an actor. So for all intents and purposes, I should be at the movies like every day and consuming content all the time. And the running joke in Collabcast is how much I don't watch anything. So the fact that I've gone to one single movie to the theater to see it five times is monumental like I don't think that there's any other movie that I've seen this many times in theaters and I think the only thing that rivals it is Titanic which was what <laughs> 1995 um so circa Club, you know that era it's been a moment so for me it blows any other movie I've ever seen in the theater out of the water even movies that I really love and that I want like Wonder Woman it took me a lot to go out to see that movie but I knew I needed to go opening weekend I want to contribute my dollars and my time but like Phil said there's so much that's always going on it's a whole ordeal to like get up off your butt and drive and park and then you know be there early enough to get a seat and then concessions and every time I've gone yeah I'm totally anticipating everything I already know what's gonna happen there's three key scenes that I always cry at I cried at the mahjong scene I got like oh my god the mom and daughter scene every time destroys me every version for me because I got to see it from a very early rough cut I got to see the version where we got to critique it and we had to fill out a questionnaire about what to tell John Chu to change or like fix or what we liked but then we also got to see it at the premiere with the cast and crew in the Chinese theaters on Hollywood Boulevard and to watch it evolve has been such a treat. Just seeing it to come full circle was so incredible. And I was just so proud of everybody. And that screening was such a celebration, right, Minji? I mean, you could feel the energy in the air with all those kind of quote-unquote Hollywood types yeah. there for the red carpet. And it was just this, like, excitement. And seeing it with them was so different than seeing it with, let's say, Wednesday night at the Arclight when we went there when it opened up and it just... It's just, it's so different, but it's so good because the universal thing is the excitement that everybody takes with this. And then when you talk to people, so my family lives in Stockton, right? So I made sure they all went to go see it and they were just as high as I was. And I was like so glad that it's resonating across the board with everybody else, not just here in Hollywood for the right reasons, but everywhere else. There's this group collective think that's going on that it's about time. And look, I'm on screen. I'm talking purely from an Asian American perspective that it's like, we're here, so let's do this, and it's been great. What about you, Marvin? I've watched movies maybe tw at most two or three times that I really like. This was back in my single days when I had many, many alone nights to um, <laughs> to figure out what to do. Um, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I think the last movie I saw twice was, I watched the first Lego movie at least three times. I watched Rec Ralph twice. I watched a lot of cartoons for some reason. And Star Wars, so I usually watch it multiple times just because um, I watch it with my friends, I watch it with my dad, and I watch it, you know, on my own Thursday night when it comes out. I sneak out and I catch opening night. But I think what definitely happened for Crazy Rich Asians is, and you know, you can see this as both a positive and also kind of like a sad thing where it was such a singular moment that it became an event. Like how John Chu was saying, it's not a, just a movie, it's a movement. But it's also like, it was like our coming out party. Everyone was so excited. The whole um, Gold Open movement meant that there were a lot of events to attend. As representatives of the community, we had a lot of invites. And you know, that's a big reason why we ended up watching it multiple times. But at the same time, it was really, like for me, after the third time, I was really in it for the experience of being amongst people, experiencing for the first time 
or even for like the fifth time, I think one of the screenings, the one that Phil and Jeff organized at the Arclight, I'm pretty sure most people there have seen it at least two or three times. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. And I'm curious what everyone else felt the first time they watched it. Like, Well, let me actually throw that question to Cheryl. Definitely this movie is an exception for me. Firstly, it's a movie that is highly anticipated and I've been very like excited to watch it regardless whether I was in it or not. And then second, of course, I have the motivation to go and watch it multiple times because every time, rarely do I get to hear myself on the big screen. And it's my first time. So um, I was definitely very excited and motivated to watch it over and over again. I know the very first time I watched it was on the Warner Brothers lot. I was invited to go see it in January. Um, So it was one of the earlier cuts of the movie as well. And my vocals wasn't in it yet. Um, they basically uh, just put a demo in it. And I don't remember knowing that it was the opening title screen song of the movie. So I only realized it during the movie. They gave me a heads up basically saying like, oh, come watch the movie. So you kind of know the context of the movie. And then maybe it'll help you like when you go into the recording studio uh, this week. So I was like, great. Yeah, I think I skipped the class to go for this screening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was Ed and Drop Week anyway. They gave me a hits up saying that, oh, your song comes after the London scene. And I was like, okay, great. Um, when I realized it was the opening song, I freaked out in my chair. And I was like, oh my god, like this is insane. Okay. <laughs> they ended up using it as the closing song uh, during the ending credits with Aquafina as well. And I only knew this like uh, maybe a month or two before the release. So it was like... After I recorded and everything, they decided to go um, to have it remixed and then told me like, oh, by the way, Aquafina is adding raps to your song and we're having adding it to the end of the movie as well. <laughs> that was another huge surprise. But the movie, I was born and raised in Malaysia and I have family from both Singapore and Malaysia. So watching it for the first time, I remember I cried so much in the cinema. I was watching it with a lot of Warner Brothers employees and I was in makeup and I was like, oh no, like I'm not supposed to cry right now because I need to meet people too after this. And, but it was so, that was, it was so moving that I couldn't help myself and I, and the food, oh my goodness, they got the food so well in the movie, like they showed all the hawker center and all the famous like Malaysian food that it made me so hungry. <laughs> it always makes me hungry every single time we recommend you to eat before you go and watch the movie, even if, during the eighth time watching it. And every single time I watch it, I still laugh at my favorite parts of the movie. There are like specific parts of the movie where I know I'm going to laugh and I'm like anticipating for the audience to laugh with me. And then I laugh at the audience laughing at it and then I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think you guys understand (laughs) that reaction. And um, every time I go and watch it, I bring a bunch of friends to go. So every screening, I have about 10 friends that I bring with me and they're all different friends most of the time so maybe i brought about 80 or more people to go and watch this movie with me oh good work yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i'm not dragging anybody to go watch i actually just like ask friends like oh they, are you guys are interested and i make like a group chat because i'm the always the one organizing it and then i bring like a bunch of people to go and then one of my favorites was like i, I attended the usc screening with john chu last week Watching with a bunch of students, they laughed so much. I've never seen an audience laugh so much. Yeah, they laughed at every single joke of the movie the whole time that they couldn't even hear the jokes that followed up because they were still laughing. <laughs> I remember there was one another screening that I went to um, 
during the crucial part of the movie where they reveal that it's Eleanor's ring, right? When Henry proposes to... Oh my uh, god. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. always gasps. Like, yeah. you can hear the silence in the cinema, the theater, and everyone's just going... <gasps> and there was one screening that I went. This girl went, oh shit, and the whole audience burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious if you and then the girl like gasped because she realized she said it out loud but that was how like <laughs> so cute yeah definitely one of my three moments i always cry when we watched it i hit marvin a lot uh, <laughs> that's so funny yeah and coming from a, a southeast asian background i relate so much to the the chinese propriety of the grandmother to the mother to the daughter-in-law <laughs> and watching it, you feel, you share the pain from Constance during that, that my heart wrenches every time I watch that Mahjong scene. You feel so much for her. It comes from like understanding more than the movie even portrays. They did it so well. Like Mahjong scene, like or even John was explaining like how they had to get a Mahjong choreographer to have it the timing, like the sound of the Mahjong creating that intense feeling of that talk between the both of them. It, it just really gets me every time I watch it. Are there other scenes that you guys are, when you're watching it, that you're waiting for audience reaction? I think definitely mm. the um, the scene where uh, Rachel goes to Paiklin's house. That's the moment where it really kicks into next gear, I think. The energy level goes up. That scene is chock full of jokes. I, I find myself like silently begging, like, people don't laugh too hard because you're going to miss the next joke. You know, like, the Cal State Fullerton line is easily <laughs> one of the, the biggest laughs in the whole movie, right? But it's preceded by the part where he drops his accent, which is also pretty funny. But, like, <laughs> I've been to a couple screenings where people, like, they didn't quite hear the Cal State Fullerton because because of the laugh, you know? Which is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have, you know? Three of the screenings I went to, they totally missed the Cal State Fullerton joke, and I was so upset. <laughs> Three out of seven times. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you guys, shush. <laughs> Whenever they see Ken Jeong come in the screen when they introduce him, and the whole like cinema goes crazy. One of my favorite parts is just Aquafina. Any part that she's in, I'm just so excited for the rest of the audience to get to see it. Especially the car sequence when they're driving up to the palatial estate and she's like interacting with the guards and when she denies, denies, denies the invitation to come in for dinner and then she she's like, no, I couldn't. No, I couldn't impose. Oh, I couldn't. I actually ate dinner. Oh, fuck yeah, I'll go. She just like jumps in. So I die and I'm just so excited for the audience to be able to have that and they, everyone cracks up and just she's just such a scene stealer. Love it. <laughs> That's actually my favorite part of the movie. And then for me, hands down, every screening I've gone to, actually, the loudest, biggest, most enthusiastic reaction actually comes at the very end of the movie where Harry goddamn Shum shows his face. <laughs> I mean, everyone loses their minds. I mean, that, is, that right there actually is the biggest reaction out of the whole yeah. movie. Oh, my gosh. Um, I went to the USC screening. There was this whole row of girls. <laughs> uh, I think you know what Kate makes. They all scream. They screamed so loud when his face appeared. It was hilarious. At my screening last night, half the theater left before the stinger. (laughs) Amateurs. What are you all doing? Phil, I think we were talking about, you were telling me that the last Astrid Michael scene when she says, I can't make you a man, gets a pretty good reaction to Mm. it. Yeah, yeah. People, (laughs) yeah, no, that, that gets an applause, like straight up, like applause. (laughs) <laughs> Although, when she walks away from, from Michael, on the opening night screening, Jenny Yang yells out, 
He's still fine, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Speaking of Jenny Yang, I think I've found out too late. I'm pretty sure she's part of the Five Timers Club, too. <laughs> so shout out to Jenny. I love you, Jenny. <laughs> So I'm also curious, what are some of the things that you didn't realize until repeat viewings of it? Like some of the small details that you might have missed the first four times. <laughs> For me, it was that Astrid was his cousin and not his sister. I don't know where I missed <laughs> oh. that. Yeah, I always thought it was his sister. And then it turned out it's his cousin. I think because the first time I wasn't paying attention because I was just so excited, you know. Uh-huh. And when it was coming out and he was explaining everything, I just thought, oh, that's his sister because she showed up, you know, in the first scene. In yeah, the first scene, I can see how it's easy to assume they're brother and sister. But I mean, he <laughs> says it when they're on the plane. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I miss all that. I think I'm just, I think that first, that first screening, I was just looking at everything. They're sitting in first class. Oh, there's a white lady behind her that sits down. <laughs> you know, you see that going on. I thought, okay, that's interesting. And the first time I saw it, and I saw it with Marvin at the studio, because we couldn't get in at first, because they were like not letting us, and then we got in. And then when we got in, it was just, it was great. And the audience wasn't all Asian. It was like so mixed, and it was so good. And so I was just excited to be there. And I think that's why I missed some of that. So when I went back, I was able to catch some of that stuff. So, Yeah, definitely. Anyone else? Here's one thing I noticed after like maybe fourth viewing. Um, in the final scene, you know, after they get engaged and they show up at that party, in the crowd, I noticed that Rachel's TA from her game theory class is in the crowd. And I was like, is that him? Or, uh, you know, they, he has distinctive oh, hair. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's there, you know. I noticed it because in you know in the first scene she like says get a haircut. The, the, the yeah. guy who plays the cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's in the scene yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I'm like, what is he doing there? So I actually ended up asking John Chu, like, was that the same guy or is just a guy with similar hair? He's like, Oh yeah, it's him. And he, he explained this whole other scene that's in the beginning that they cut out basically. After the class, Rachel and the TA Curtis go out for a drink where she, she talks about this promotion that she went up for that she didn't get. And then there's this whole, like, they're at a bar, so there's karaoke there. And then she gets her name called up to go do karaoke. And she doesn't want to do it, but they make her. And then she goes up, and then, like, uh, she's terrible. But then in the middle of it, um, this handsome young man comes up and, like, saves her, like, you know, and sings along with her. And it turns out that it's, you know, it's Nick. And it turns out that he's her boyfriend, you know, and that's how we meet Nick, you know. And then oh, it, karaoke scene. Uh. And then it goes into the scene where they're at that, they're eating dessert at the in, in the whole Singapore thing. But um, and then at the end, like Nick actually flew out all the people who like believed in her to the party. That's what that was supposed to be. But you know, they cut it out because it just they needed to get to Singapore quicker. So and I was like, wow, that was a really, it was really cool. Yeah. yeah no, I noticed that guy on the eighth screening actually because i there's so many, i always like yeah and then i was like why does that guy look so familiar and then i was like oh maybe he's in another movie i just watched <laughs> trying to put him in place and now i think yeah i think we all need the deleted scenes from harry shum at the wedding oh yeah um, that was in the first cut that we didn't get to see from what i hear from people who watched the first ever test screening harry was totally in that cut Mm. They leaked the picture of him in the wedding with Gemma. Right. I mean, there's a shot of them in the trailer dancing, so they <laughs> shot something. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember John addressed why they cut out Harry's scene was because they realized that they didn't want Gemma to look weak, um, like leaving her husband for another man. 
after like testing a few things and then cutting that out they realized it had a bigger impact showing that Gemma like left on her own terms they wanted to show that Gemma like left knowing that she's enough and not needing somebody else so mm-hmm. um having the other scene might have made her look weak yeah it makes sense and it just you know the cost was a Harry Shum dancing scene that would have been awesome oh. <laughs> did anyone else especially as those of you who saw different versions of it um, did you notice things that got better in the final version I mean I thought that everything definitely from the first time that I watched it in November everything tightened up and I, I appreciated it because it, it felt lovely to be seen because I felt like there were direct improvements based on some of the feedback I had written in my essay answers. Uh, <laughs> it was because it was like I, I, I sat there for like a good half hour. I was like, I'm not leaving until I get all my thoughts out. But, um, and I know that other people, we had all shared afterwards like what we thought about the music or the font or the pacing of this or like one of the things that I thought was really strong at the final one that they premiered was the scene between Rachel's getting a massage with Amanda Ling like when they're having that whole uncomfortable conversation and then when Colin Koo and Nick are having their conversation when they escape the bachelor party that scene was not as tight and as strong before and there were some issues with the continuity and things like that that was one of it really helped clarify what was at stake and I was just so glad that they they kept continuously working on that segment because that, to me, was the most significant change that I saw from the first cut to the final that's now in theaters. Yeah, that sequence actually was the thing I noticed that they kept feeling with the most. Like everything else is kind of like making things tighter. But the Bachelor Bachelorette party scene, I remember the first time we saw it, I, there were separate scenes, the whole Bachelor party and then the whole Bachelor So shout party. out not only... To John and everyone, the actors, but the editors. I mean, we see movie magic happening before our eyes. The editing is what made it so much tighter and make more sense and like really raise the stakes and make us care a lot more about what was going on. Yeah, definitely. Because I think the first, I mean, from the beginning, I thought it was fun. It was always fun. But I think there's definitely like minor things. I was confused about that. I wasn't expecting that. And then I think definitely by the final version, all of those things seem to be ironed out Mm. pretty well. And then the other things, I mean, we have Cheryl here, but like I think the early versions didn't have the music. And Mm -hmm. that is such a game changer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were two scenes that they actually cut that actually made it better. There was the scene where Eleanor calls Nick and asks him about bringing Rachel telling him that the house isn't ready I remember the first time I saw it Nick said well then we're gonna stay at a hotel they cut that in the final cut and the other one is during the ending the ending sequence where Nick proposes to her on that dock I remember her actually turning him down on the dock when they they cut that too oh so like when you go to the mahjong so you don't know what she says yeah oh interesting Mm. that suspense was really good yeah I agree Yeah. yeah I have a question for you guys because I, I feel like I saw something that I, I'm not sure if I imagined it or not. So the scene where um, Rachel and her mom are talking on the bed, which is a great scene, but then it's punctuated by Paiklin's brother, like taking the photo, you know, for a comic <laughs> event. I feel like in the scene, as it, as a place, he, he takes a picture and then they're like, how long have you been standing there? He's like, just a short while. And then he says like, I'll send you the photo. I'll email you the photo. But I feel like in the earlier versions of when I saw that, he doesn't say, I'll email you the photo. Like, that makes it a little less creepy when he says, I'll email you the photo. I think, <laughs> um, I think you're right. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, am I imagining it? Did I forget it? I don't know. I don't know, but everybody keeps laughing at it. <laughs> I don't think they included that line because I do agree that like there was a less because cre- I felt really def- okay because you know yeah. I'm a guardian and I very much protect Asian American men. <laughs> um, I was just like, don't make him too creepy, you know. So I, I was very vigilant about that. I don't think that line was there, Phil. I'm on your side. I don't think I don't think you imagined it. I'm gonna guess that they like added that in. Something that I started doing towards like the fifth, sixth, and seventh time watching it is paying more attention to the background. Yeah. Because John Chu mentioned that he had included post-its with the word joy around the sets. What? I couldn't really find any. <laughs> and during the wedding scenes, I kept trying to see if I can find like our YouTube friends that were supposed to be part of the background. Oh, um, but all those shots yeah. really focused in on the, ma- the, the actors. So everyone knows it was just blurry. So I, I didn't really see anybody. One of the main things that really evolved for me in terms of appreciation growing was the Mahjong scene. Because I think from the beginning, I understood the importance, but I didn't know what the game was, right? Mind you, the first time I watched this was last year or so. And to break it down and understand the nuances of what the pieces themselves meant, and I think it's just so masterful what Adele, Lim, and Peter Corelli, but really, you know, I think Adele was really the mastermind behind that because she, it was just so well done. And then to understand what the game is, because I've never played it, was, I don't know, I think that's maybe why I was so emotional the last time during that scene. Yeah, we should say that Jeff Yang wrote a post for Angry yeah. Man explaining the Mahjong scene, which after reading that, I would want to watch that scene again to kind of pay attention <laughs> to the details. <laughs> I think I posted about this, but I want to see Jeff's um, analysis of the whole movie with the lens of economics and game theory, talking about like, Nash equilibriums and things like that. <laughs> when I asked Jeff to write that piece, I was like, oh, you know, it might be something that like people might find interesting. And, you know, he could just lightly explain the piece. But he went deep. He went, he did a deep dive. I was like, okay, I was not expecting this, Jeff, but thank you. <laughs> it's like, it's like 2,000 words or something. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Shout out to Jeff. I'm pretty sure he's a five-timer, too. Is that, do you know, Phil? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was reading. I don't know if any guys know this, but I was reading that Jess Jew from Cape might have seen it nine times. Oh, I believe I it. think so. I think she put that on Facebook. <laughs> Shout out to Jess Jew. I think she thought that Sugihara saw it ten times. Ten times? Wow. I should mention that on Twitter, Henry Golding was like, hey, uh, who's who's going to watch it for a second time? You know? <laughs> And I tweeted, I replied, I was like, second, brother, I'm on six and counting, you know. (laughs) And he replied back, he was like, on the 10th time, I'll come to your house in L.A. and give you a haircut. So (laughs) We should tell him that he should give Michelle a haircut. (laughs) Yeah. It's time to collect. (laughs) I think that will be fun, too, just sort of posting it and making up this thing, a five-timers club, and seeing who's in it, because I bet a lot of people are in it. And then seeing if there's people in the ten-timers club, which is insane, but really inspiring in some ways, I guess. Um, so do you guys, any of you think you're going to watch it again? Yeah. Yes. yes. Probably, yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling people that this is the type of movie where, like, I feel like it has a lot of legs. It's like our, the new generation of, like, A Love Actually, where if it's on TV, I'll mm-hmm. watch it. If it's playing on a plane, mm-hmm. I'll watch it. If it's like if it's just on the TV on the bar, I'll watch it. <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of movie for me. It's a fun yeah. movie. It's very cute. I want to say I want to declare this right now. Like, come Oscar time, like I would make a strong case for Dave. Dave, hey, Dave, I'm t- 
talking to you. I would make a strong case for Michelle Yeoh for Best Supporting Actress. I think there's a very strong case to be made for it. So come award season, I think this uh, we'll hear about this more again. Yeah. You know? They could definitely push her. But whoever did the set design, killed. For sure. For That's sure. Design, for sure. When you hear those backstories of how they were able to pull off that wedding sequence, you know, the out yeah. there, it's like, yeah. it's amazing. So if anything, the cinematography and all that should be definitely be up for that as well. I would also put in one for Brian Tyler's score. I think it's excellent. No. It's, it's 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 awesome. I want to see how many future, like how many 2019 weddings will involve a waterproof dress <laughs> and wire, or, or even or even just uh, Kina Granis's version of the, uh, "Can't Help Falling in Love." Oh yeah. my yeah. god, totally! That song <laughs> is going to be played at like every single. So, you know what that always, that always gets me when she starts, and then when those lights go down and everybody brings out their. Uh, oh yeah. I'm done. I am so done. Yeah. So beautiful. Because that's also like where, you know, they like mouth I love you to each other. And it's, it's, yeah, it's deliriously romantic. But I also think like, I said this on another podcast, but it's also the moment where John Chu is putting a definitive like Asian American stamp on the movie by using Kina Granis in that scene. You know, you could have had any run of any kind of like pop artists from across Asia but they chose Kina Granis, you know, an Asian American artist to make that scene like what it is, you know. So I think that that moment is particularly special for like a lot of people. Well, speaking of music, too, that just reminded me like the latter times I started watching, I started paying attention to the other songs. Cause yeah, me too. A lot of talk has been made about the covers of modern songs, but there are a lot of classic Chinese jams in the entire movie. I was just going to say that there's a Teresa Tang song when Michelle Yeoh is like, with um, Henry Golding in the room changing shirts, yeah. right? <laughs> it starts in the scene where Rachel spills the wine on Henry's shirt and plays all the way throughout to right before they walk out to the Tanghua viewing. And that song is like the most popular song in the last century. Definitely, like, yeah. That's what I noticed on yeah. the third the third viewing. I was like, oh, this song is in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any last thoughts before we go? Thank you, Ada, for organizing this. <laughs> this is really fun. <laughs> I honestly, I love talking about it. And the funny thing is I had a lot of fear that I would annoy people by being too extra about it. But now I just feel very much like, no, let's just be extra and I'm going to gush about all I want. The tricky part is that all of us saw it so early that we couldn't talk about it for the longest time. Yeah, right? so it's been building so that's up. That's why this is especially more satisfying. That was like, the hard part, right? Like after seeing it for the first time, you just wanted to tell the world, but you had like to hold it back in. And then there's so many people like trying to dunk on it. And I was like, oh, if you only knew that it was actually good. good. Exactly. And I think that's <laughs> the other thing, too, the joy of being, you know, with other people who were kind of like on the fence. And then their first thing out of their mouth when the credits rolled and they were laughing and crying and everything was like, wow, that was a whole lot better than what I thought it was going to be. And then all of a sudden they became they become part of the team, you know, and they feel like I can actually go out and support this because, you know, we as Asian people, we have to have like you know, uh, approval first before we step out. Most, most people won't take the risk, but I'm finding with this particular film and this story and everything about it, because there's so many layers on that, this is a moment. I mean, we're in this moment. I can't say it enough. This is our moment for you know anything that people are needing to do. This is when you need to be doing it. This podcast, what Phil and you guys are doing, and, you know, everybody on this on this podcast, what we're all doing, this is the moment that we're living history right now. And so understand that and just go forth and knock it out. That's all I got to say. And it's so weird because I feel like a lot of us cover Asian American entertainment. So we're watching the behind the scenes as like a story. Yes. And we're just like watching it like, 
I can't believe it got a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, yes. like what? <laughs> like that wasn't even like a possibility in the potential story that I thought might happen. And there's just so many things like that where we're like, wow, like there's so much confidence behind it, and there's so much support. So, I, I, yeah, I, that's the thing, right? I think there's a lot of films that are number one in the box office, but how many films do people talk about watching over and over and over and over and over? That's a smaller list, and <laughs> that's like a Titanic. So yeah. I, hope, I hope that can be a little part of the story as well, where it's like it's not just that opening weekend. All the Asian Americans came out. Oh, yeah, people who aren't Asian American came out to support it because it's like a really great movie, but... Like, this is also a movie that people are seeing over and over and over again and gaining something from it each time and wanting to take their friends and take their parents yeah. and everybody to go see it. So it's, yeah, it, it feels very special. Right. And starting all these conversations, right? So even the people who don't like it, it starts a conversation that lets us learn more about different things that we can work on as the movement goes forward, you know? Exactly that, because I think the people who, and it's a small group, you know, who are, you know, kind of hating on it, hadn't seen it when they saw it they were like oh it's okay you know and, and i like the fact that they're able to bring things up because i think minji said this too she goes if you're not satisfied with this film because it doesn't meet your expectations then this is an opportunity for you to make your own you know if there are more stories it doesn't have to be crazy rich asians or a sport you know what i mean it can be whatever you want it to be so this is an opportunity be inspired to go make your own if there's artists that are listening out there it's your moment make them yeah Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. This week, the film Searching comes out in theaters. It's a thriller starring John Cho that is told completely through computer and phone screens. They Call Us Bruce has a great discussion with John Cho himself that you should definitely check out. And enjoy the rest of your summer. School will be back in session in September. Class dismissed. All your money, fake it, and some imitation crab meat.